I have uh, on my heart today a, a strong word. This is a strong word. It used to be a common message, but not anymore. So today would be considered a strong word. I want to tell you that at the end of the message, I'm going to encourage you, but I'm going to talk to you straight today about America. I learned a long time ago to preach what God puts on my heart, that he speaks to my heart. He touches my heart. He inflames my heart. He burdens my heart. And this message has been on my heart growing and accumulating and building for months. Now is a perfect time to share it. Next week, we're going to begin our uh, journey towards Easter. And every message from now to Easter will build up to Easter. But today, I want to talk to you about when a nation turns from God. This will be a somber word. There won't be any jumping up and shouting that I can tell. Sure didn't happen in the nine o'clock. But I want us to understand the ways of God in the way that he judges nations. And I want us to have a sense of where we are as a nation right now. So let's put, it's one quick verse and I want everybody to read it with me. Let's read it out loud. Psalms 917. Ready? The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Is that a true verse? Is it true? Yeah, it's true. It's the same Bible that gave us John 3.16. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray you'll help me. As I just unload this, this word, this burden that you put on my heart for this country, I pray, Lord, that you will speak through me and that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church body. I pray for everybody here, everybody watching by streaming video, everybody that will hear this on radio around the country, I pray that, Lord, there will be an understanding imparted to the people of God and having an understanding and knowledge on how to respond. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive your word into the good ground in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be a good word. Amen. Now, I'm just going to dive right in, and let me, let me just share with you what, what God has put on me. I believe that today our nation is hanging precariously in the balances. Did you know that we've never been in a more dangerous situation as a nation than we are right now? Not in World War I, not in World War II, not in the Vietnam War, not in the Cold War, not in the tumultuous 60s. And I would go all the way back to the Civil War. I don't believe America has ever been in a more precarious, dangerous place than we are right now. I'm not saying these things to unsettle you. I'm saying these things to inform you, to make you aware. I don't know how much you pray about it, how much you read your Bible. I, I can't imagine anybody reading their Bible and praying who does not feel like I do. Amen. If you're aware of any news, if you're really, if you're living on the planet, you've got to be at least partly aware of what I'm going to be sharing today. Do you know what Jesus once said? When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather. It's going to be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today, it's going to be stormy. 
for the sky is red and overcast. And Jesus said, you know how to uh, interpret the appearance of the sky and what weather is coming, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Now, I think if anybody understands the signs of the times, it ought to be God's people. God's blood-washed, redeemed, spirit-filled church ought to understand the signs of the times. Because there are signs in our time right now. Now, the first thing we need to understand as a church is this, that our God is not only the God of individual people, but our God is the God over all the nations of the earth. Now, I'm talking about China, Asia, Africa, America, Mexico. You name a place, a nation, a city, a town, God is the God over that place. He has final rights to it. He's the sovereign God. He tells us in the Bible that he is sovereign over all the kings of the earth. God is in charge, ultimately. History is his story, ultimately. Listen to Isaiah. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He, God, weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. God picks up Hawaii like it's a speck of dust, and he weighs it. He weighs its morality. He weighs the level of its, of its uh, fear of God. He, he weighs its level of sin. He weighs it in the scales. He does this with every nation on earth. We need to be aware of this. We didn't just worship some, some bearded, kindly granddaddy in the sky. He's the God of the universe. He flung the stars into space. He scooped out the oceans with his hands. He is the God who is going to be standing at the end of history in the person of his son. And all of history is going to answer to him. That's the God we worship. He blesses nations. And you know what, church? He also judges nations. The same God that blesses judges. Didn't Paul say in Romans, didn't he talk about the goodness of God and the severity of God? Both. Yes, he's good, but yes, our God can be severe. We love the goodness. We don't like to hear about the severity. You could search far and wide in churches all over this city and not hear a message on the judgments of God. And that's sad because that used to be the message of the pulpit. And guess what? If there is a mist in the pulpit, there is a fog in the pews. Blessed is the nation, says God, whose God is the Lord. Blessed is that nation. And conversely, the Bible clearly warns that if a nation turns away from God, dire consequences are in store because of God's certain judgment, and particularly, church, if that nation has been given great light. Didn't Jesus say to those of his day, It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you in the day of judgment because you have me here and they didn't and Sodom had no Bible. Take, for instance, God's word in Judah or to Judah in Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah was raised up to preach to Judah. You had Israel, 10 tribes of Israel, and you had Judah comprised of two tribes. Jeremiah was raised up to speak to Judah. And I want you to look at how God describes Judah through the mouth of Jeremiah. And I want you to tell me if any of this sounds familiar. 
In chapter 2, verse 13, my people have forsaken me. They have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God, 3, verse 21. They are expert at doing evil, but to do good they have no knowledge, 4, verse 22. They have refused to receive correction. They have refused to return to me. They have made their faces harder than rock. In other words, obstinate and unrepentant. 5 verse 3. They do not obey the voice of the Lord their God. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. 7 verse 28. They have rejected the word of the Lord. 8 verse 9. And instead, everyone follows the dictates of his evil heart. 11 verse 8. Sound familiar? That's situational ethics. They were walking in situational ethics. Whatever is my truth is my truth. Whatever is your truth is your truth. There is no absolute truth. We're going to do whatever we feel like doing. And God said, I'm going to judge that. That's where you go when you reject the word of the Lord. Everybody's following the dictates of their evil heart. Everyone. Situational ethics, relativism had taken over Judah. They have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. 13 verse 25. And as for their many sins, in light of their many sins, God asked a question. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. There was no more blush, no more shame in Judah when Jeremiah began to tell them that judgment was on the way. There was no more blushing. We're not ashamed. We don't care. We're not going to answer to God. We're going to do what we want, when we want, the way we want. And we're not ashamed of our Dumbed down morality. And finally, over and over again, God brings up their murdering of their own children. He warns against the shedding of innocent blood and condemns their practice of sacrificing their children to the false god of Molech. Sound familiar? See, an idol doesn't have to be something that's wood, carved out of wood, sitting there in front of you that you're bowed down to. An idol is whatever you put in the place of God. That's an idol. God says concerning the murder of their own children, he said, I did not command this, nor did it even come into my mind, 7 verse 31. In other words, the killing of your own children is as foreign to me and my will as anything could possibly be. God is saying, I would never tell you to do such a thing. That's what he's saying. I'm just reading the Bible. He says, since you've been killing your own children, I'm going to bring judgment on you. And judgment did come on Judah. And they were destroyed and they were carried away captive into another foreign nation for 70 years. And you know the rest of the story. Now, God's final response to all of these things is this. And I want you to listen to it carefully. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this, 9 verse 9? And to and in chapter 11, verse 11, he says, Behold, I will surely bring calamity on them, which they will not be able to escape. And these were his people, Abraham's offspring, the apple of his eye, the pupil inside his iris. They were his special people that he had chosen through whom to reveal his his power and glory and reality to the entire world. And he says to them, you're going to answer for these things. I'm going to bring you into judgment for these things. So we learn from these passages regarding Judah that the God of the Bible 
is over the nations of the earth, and he weighs them in his scales, folks. He does. Christian, you ought to understand this. If you're a child of God, you ought to know this. Another thing we learn from the Bible is that some things are judged by God at the end of times. At the end of time, God's going to judge everyone who ever lived and who is not covered in the blood of Christ. He's going to judge them. Great white throne judgment. Nations are going to be judged. People are going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. But guess what? He judges nations in time, in the context of time, in time and space, in the now. All you got to do is read history. It's all over the pages of history. It's in your Bible over and over again. God judged nations. He judged his own people, and he judged foreign pagan nations. He judged nations. That's one of the things God does. Remember Paul's words. Behold, the goodness and the severity of God. They are both there in the balances. And in the New Testament, in Romans 1, which is one of the most profound chapters ever written in the history of the world, if you want to understand how a nation, how a society declines, Romans 1, there is no better source than to read Romans 1. In the New Testament, Romans 1, Paul gives four steps in the decline and judgment of a nation that forsakes God. And as I read these, I want you to think again of America. Here we go. First, a nation rejects God. That's where it all begins. A nation rejects God. It removes God from sight and sound. We don't want to see him. We don't want to hear him. We don't even want him in our thoughts or in our mind. We want God out of here. That's the first step. And folks, when you push God out, The enemy rushes in like a flood because nature abhors a vacuum, so they say. And it's true in the spiritual arena. There's no vacuum in a spiritual arena that remains long. When you put out the real thing, a false thing will always come in. And so first a nation rejects God. It says, we don't want God. Sound familiar? And then it turns to false religion, always. When you, we have been hardwired by God to worship something. And if we don't worship the real God, then we will worship something else. And we will turn to a false God, to a false religion. Worshiping things that are not God. Idols, false deities, self, phony substitutes. But you will worship something. You will worship yourself. You will worship some other God out there if not for the real God. So here we go. First, a nation rejects God. Then it turns to false gods. Then always, read your history, always it sells out to sexual immorality, to sexual perversion, and descends into violence right alongside it. It's, it's amazing to me that when there is a release of uninhibited sensuality, violence always comes in with it. All the nations in history that forsook God turned to the worship of sensuality while violence mushroomed. Finally, God judges it. God judges it, finally. A nation under God's judgment begins to decline. You you want to know what judgment looks like? We often think of Sodom and Gomorrah, fire falls and everything is roasted. But let me tell you something. Here's what judgment looks like when a nation begins to decline, weaken, unravel, and self-destruct. And here's what gets me. History shows that virtually every time this happens, barbarians were allowed to enter and destroy it. 
Quick examples. Think Israel, the ten tribes of Israel. What destroyed them when they forsook God? The barbaric Assyrians came in, invaded them, destroyed them, spread them out through the nations of the world. They lost their homeland, lost it all. Think Judah. What destroyed Judah? The barbaric Babylonians came in, just like Jeremiah told them they would. And these Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple, wiped out the city, took the people captive. Barbarians who didn't know God. And then you think of Jerusalem in Jesus' time. What, what took Jerusalem? What, how, what judgment came upon that city for rejecting the Messiah? Jesus said, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he wept over Jerusalem. Why did he do that? Because he knew what was coming in a few decades. He saw what was going to happen. And in 70 AD, the barbaric Romans surrounded Jerusalem, laid siege to it, finally got into it, destroyed the temple again, and over one million Jews lost their lives in an hour of judgment. And then there was Rome itself. In a few centuries after they invaded Jerusalem, they themselves were invaded. They rotted, they decayed from the inside out. And in their final years, the barbaric Goths and Visigoths and the Huns, you've heard of Attila the Hun, invaded Rome and it was toppled and it fell under the attack of barbarians who couldn't read a word, who could not appreciate their libraries, who were not civilized. Folks, it pains me to say it, but I want you to know that America is in the crosshairs of God's judgment. Now, most Americans and Christians in particular, when I say that, they oh, no, 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 Pastor Jeff, you, you've got it wrong. Because we're special. Was Judah special? Was Israel special? God's own people, the apple of his eye? And, and if you think we're special, then please explain that to me in light of history. But we're America. And I'm going to give you some good reasons why God would never let that happen to us. And here's the reasons you'll hear. America's strong Christian heritage. We were dedicated to God. Christians founded this country. Many of the signers of the Constitution were Christians. So because of that, God is never going to let that happen to us. Or how about our nation's commitment to freedom and liberty? We've always been all about freedom and all about liberty in our Constitution and in our national practices. We have always been known for liberty, the Liberty Bell, land of the free, home of the brave. So God would never let that happen to us. The high level of education and civilized culture that has characterized America. We're civilized. Because we're civilized, that kind of thing can't happen to us. And when you read these reasons and you hear these reasons on the face, at face value, they're valid reasons and they seem airtight, but they're not. Because listen, folks, when a nation turns from God, it's just like an individual person who turns from God. Their past walk doesn't shield them from present consequences if they walk away now. Nor does their past protect them from falling into tragic deception now. Let me give you an example. Did you know that pre-Nazi Germany had a strong Christian heritage? Pre-Nazi Germany. Germany was the very heartland and the launching pad of the Protestant Reformation. The greatest move of God in the 1500s was the Protestant Reformation, and it was launched and birthed in Germany. Martin Luther, the torch and the light of the Protestant Reformation, 
who nailed the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg and started this great move of freedom and liberty and justification by faith was a German monk, Luther. When Nazism began to cast its ominous shadow across the land, Germany was filled with highly educated people. Did you know that? It was a land of literary giants and scientific geniuses. It was, in fact, one of the most advanced civilizations on earth when Hitler made his move. It was also a democratic government. Hitler was elected to power. He didn't force his way in. He was elected. And yet Germany walked away from its strong Christian heritage, spiraled into the tragic nightmare of Hitler's Nazism. Anybody looking at Germany before the rise of Hitler would never, ever, ever have guessed it. And it goes to show you no nation is immune. No nation is immune from decline and judgment should they forsake God. And when Hitler came into power, the, the, the overwhelming, the dominant church in Germany was the Lutheran church from Martin Luther, its own son. And yet those churches were dead. They didn't stand up against Hitler. They were silent. They allowed him to rise to power. They did nothing to stop him. They did not lift their voice. They sat there in their church bubble. Now let's talk about America. I want to give you kind of my own State of the Union from a biblical perspective. I sure wish I could have a State of the Union there in Washington. And, but here we go. Listen carefully. Quick trek through American history. In the 1960s, America began to decisively and systematically throw its Christian heritage away. Now, some of you that were uh, born in the 60s or after the 60s don't know this like those of us who were there. But I want to tell you, in the 60s, something happened. There was a defining moment. There was a paradigm shift in the philosophy and the theology and the worldview of the American culture. And America began to decisively and systematically chunk away, throw away its heritage, its Judeo-Christian ethic. It happened quickly in a series of quick and lethal punches to the gut of this land. First, the sexual revolution was launched with an entire generation throwing Bible morality under the bus. Oh, we don't need all that church stuff. We don't need all that Bible stuff. We're going to be free and throw off these shackles of this Victorian-type philosophy and we're just going to do what we want, when we want, where we want, with whom we want. Then on top of that, right alongside it, Eastern mysticism burst through the gates to fill the spiritual void of, of forsaken Christianity. I can remember when transcendental meditation and Hinduism and Buddhism came flooding in as Christianity was decreased and became more and more unpopular. And now everybody wanted to, wanted to turn on to the, these new Eastern mystical religions and among others, the Beatles made it popular. They had their own Middle Eastern mystic teacher and all the news covered them there going to India and, and sitting at his feet. And man, whatever the Beatles did, the whole generation did. Then right alongside that, the drug culture rushed in, flooded the streets and flooded the schools. And on top of that, and finally, secular humanism, which places man as his own God, was crowned king in the halls of academia. We don't believe in the God of the universe anymore. We believe we're God and we are our own judge of truth. And 
That's where academia went and where it is today, and look at what has happened to it. The Judeo-Christian foundations of our land came under such fierce, sustained assault, and this fierce assault is accelerating dramatically today. Now, we call this assault on Judeo-Christian ethics the culture war. You'll hear that if you watch the news, read the paper, read any news at all. If you're at all aware, you hear that phrase, the culture war. What's the culture war? It's a battle between the principles and guidance of God's word as opposed to the unbiblical worldview of the pagan godless. You either accept God's principles for living and life or you reject them and you embrace secular humanism, situational ethics, relativism. There is no ultimate truth. There is no God. I will answer to no God. I am going to live and die to myself. There's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no ultimate cosmic responsibility that I have towards any deity. Unfortunately, taken as a whole, I've got to tell you, the culture war has been lost to the pagans, to the ungodly. We can no longer honestly claim to be a Christian nation. We are, we're a nation with a lot of Christians in it. We're no longer a Christian nation. And, and say, well, how do you know that, Jeff? I know that by looking at the laws that are being passed and what is being embraced by this country. And the, the, the path this country is going down is totally contrary to the Scriptures, to the Word of God. So I know that the Christian worldview is not prevailing. And here's the bitter price. Without the safeguards of Christian morality that Jesus called light and salt, the demons of hell, folks, have literally been unleashed on this country. The Bible says that the foundations be destroyed. What are the foundations? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations are the truth of the word of God, the, the biblical principles, the morals, the values, the worldview that the Bible gives us is the foundation. And if that is destroyed, what can the righteous do? There is a feeling of helplessness when those foundations crumble. We're now witnessing on a daily basis satanic, senseless, brutal killings and gross, mind-numbing immorality on a scale that's unprecedented in history. I'm going to be real honest with you today. Did you know that the marriage of people of the same gender is found nowhere in history but with the insane Roman Emperor Nero and a few isolated incidents, but nowhere in history do you have anywhere in the annals of history a nation that officially endorsed and made law the marriage of the same gender. It's not there. This is new. Welcome to 21st century Crazyville. I know I probably offended a few people just then. Tolerate me. I thought we're supposed to be in a tolerant culture, right? And worse, churches that are supposed to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth have totally capitulated to the world and are endorsing homosexuality and same-sex marriage to get the nod of the world. But I'm going to tell you, folks, I'd rather have the nod of God, the smile of God, than the nod of the world. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? Right? Right. Right. 
And many other churches and denominations have surrendered to the demands of political correct tolerance by embracing heresies like, oh, there's many ways to God. There's not just one. Don't tell me there's only one way. Come on, let's just all get together. You can get there by Hinduism, Buddhism, any other ism you want. But my Lord and Savior said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one, hear this, no one gets to the Father but exclusively through me. Did you hear that? that? That's what he said. So how in the world can these churches say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. They have forsaken the Bible. And then there are our children and their schools. While in some ways our level of education is acceptable and, and, I, and it has declined, it's declining today. American education has thoroughly kicked God out of the schools from the preschool all the way to the graduate level. God has been kicked out. What did I say at the very beginning? When a nation rejects God, when you reject God, you want him out of sight and sound. You don't want to see him. You don't want to hear from him. Don't talk to me about his word. Don't show me that Bible. Don't put the commandments on the wall. Do you know that our Supreme Court decided when they, when they commanded that the, the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments come off school walls, do you know what their reasoning was? It is like you're reading something. This can't be true, but it's true. Their reasoning was if they're on the walls, they might, the children might read them. And if they read them, they might believe them. Like I said, welcome to crazy land. So now we took out little, little tidbits of advice from God like thou shalt not kill. And now we've got metal detectors at the doors and we've got some of the worst massacres in the nation happening in schools. I'm telling you, when you take God out, the enemy flush, rushes in. What we have now in America is a pagan education. The teachers are children. There is no God and they are simply the result of random evolution, which tells them I have no meaning, I have no purpose, I'm not designed by a God who had a, who had a destiny for me. I just kind of happened. I was just, just plopped onto the earth by an uncaring, apathetic, natural process. So, since they're being taught they are nothing more than a higher species of animal, should we wonder that that's the way they act and that is the way they're increasingly beginning to act? I can't even tell you some of the things I've read that is taking place in elementary schools by children who don't know God. In short, a decline is happening all around us. It's almost dizzying. Because we've rejected God as a culture, our society is rapidly becoming depraved. I'm going to say it. Our society is becoming depraved. Now, you know why a lot of you don't even know that? Because it's the frog in the boiling water. It happens so incrementally and so slowly and so many minor steps that you're accustomed to one step before the next one comes and you don't realize how far we've fallen Woe, cried Isaiah, to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness and bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When God speaks a woe over you, you need to say woe. Look what Isaiah had to tell these people. Hey, you're calling good evil and evil good. Does that sound familiar? Do you know that right now in our country, if you're righteous and you stand up for righteousness, you are called evil. But if you are perverted and evil, you are called good 
that Christian persecution is on the run, it's on the rise, even the United States of America. And that's one of the reasons I'm sharing this message with you so that it won't shock you when it comes. One author titled his powerful book on American moral decline, Slouching Toward Gomorrah. And he's right. He's absolutely right. And stunningly, immorality and perversion are not just being encouraged, but in some cases even coerced by our own government. Did you know that the United States government is now exporting homosexuality and same-sex marriage, telling other nations you need to accept this, and when the other nations turn them down, they are ridiculed and persecuted by our own government? Romans 1 says they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. Romans 1, verse 32. Immorality isn't just tolerated anymore in America. It's celebrated. It's celebrated on television, celebrated in the movies, celebrated in print. It's celebrated on the Internet. It's celebrated everywhere. If you're walking in perversion, you're celebrated. If you're walking in righteousness, you're castigated. Wasn't that way when I started preaching a few decades ago? And I, I got to add this as long as I'm venting. Just like in Jeremiah's time, our government leaders, particularly on the national level, have become so corrupt we can't believe a thing they say. They look us in the eye and lie to us. They look at us and lie to us, and they know they're lying to us, and they know that we know they're lying to us. But they lie with a straight face. They lie with a steady hand. They lie like pros. As a matter of fact, the better liar you are, the more you're celebrated. People don't look at you and say, you lied, you shouldn't have done that. They say, you lied and got away with it. Wow, way to go, man, give me five. You're a good liar. And our children watch this. Our children watch this and they say, what are they learning? They're learning if you're a good liar. And you've really arrived, so get good at it. Jeremiah wrote of his own country, greed has corrupted this culture. From the least to the greatest, everyone is tainted with lust for what they don't deserve. Even the prophets and the priests are no better. Their lives reek with endless lies. You ever get sick of the lying? I get so weary of the lying. I get so mad. How many times have I been tempted to put my fist through that TV screen and grab them by the throat and say, quit lying to me. <laughs> the question today is, where does all this leave us? Let me teach you a little bit more before we call it a day. First, when a nation begins to rebel against God, the first thing he will do is raise up a prophetic voice to call the nation to repentance. He'll, call, he'll raise up many prophetic voices. When a nation begins to walk away, God raises up prophetic voices. Now, we always have the Bible. That's a prophetic voice that never goes away. It's always there. But God has raised up prophetic voices going back to the 70s up to now. I really do believe the first prophetic voice was David Wilkerson, the founder of Teen Challenge. David Wilkerson 
walked with God. David Wilkerson had a national, international platform, and he began to prophesy. He began to warn America that judgment was going to come to America if America did not repent. He was castigated by many of his ministerial brethren, some of them disassociated because they didn't want to be connected to somebody that was preaching that strong, but he stayed with it, and he stayed with it for decades. He said, I see the city streets of New York on fire, literally. And he warned. And even more recently, Jonathan Kahn, whose best-selling book, The Harbinger, clearly and undeniably reveals the coming judgments of God on America. Mr. Kahn was invited to speak at the presidential inaugural prayer breakfast when President Obama was being inaugurated, and he pleaded with congressional leaders to repent and turn to God. And while there were many tears in the house, many of the Congress got and walked out. His book has become a New York Times bestseller. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's a voice that just won't go away. It has permeated the halls of Congress. It has permeated American households. And God has used him, among others, to be a prophetic voice. But watch, if a nation refuses to repent after hearing God's prophets, then God sends remedial chastising judgments. Let me tell you what a remedial means. It means remedy. He sends chastising judgments on that country as a remedy in hopes that those remedial judgments will cause the culture to wake up and repent. If the culture doesn't receive the prophetic voices of the remedial judgments, then the wound becomes incurable. And when the wound becomes incurable, God then moves the nation from judgment to destruction. Charles Spurgeon said that God's hand is very helpful when it uplifts, but it's awful when it presses down. There's hardly a pastor or a theologian that I know anything about that knows Jesus that would not agree that right now America is under the remedial judgments of God. And here's the thing about the remedial judgments of God. They increase in intensity before God finally says it's incurable. I'm here to tell you, we're going to watch this culture experience with increasing intensity the remedial judgments of God. And here's what they look like. God removes his hand of protection, his hand of provision, and his hand of blessing. I remember watching 9-11 on the television. I, I got up and walked into the living room and flipped on that TV, and I thought it was a Hollywood preview of a coming Spielberg movie or something, what I was seeing. And when I realized it was real, the first thing that washed over me was the hand of God's protection that has always been on this country is beginning to lift. Well, Pastor Jeff, how could he do that? I question you, how could he not? We've killed 50 million babies. We've celebrated perversion. We've kicked him out of the schools and taken him away from our children. How could he not? There's nothing going on in America right now that wasn't going on in Judah and Israel. Not one thing. His protection, his provision. Did you know that last, a couple of weeks ago, it came out in the news that now China is the number one economy in the world and America has lost that place? And what about his blessing? America's not blessed right now. America's in decline. Hello? America's not blessed right now. America's running on the fumes of yesterday's blessing. But right now we're in decline, folks. In every spectrum that you can measure, we're in decline. That's that's the way 
real judgment looks. You begin to lose what you had. We're not admired in the world anymore. We're not feared in the world anymore. We are a disappointment to our allies, and we're not feared by our enemies. We used to, we used to be the one nation that our enemies were afraid of no more. Now, I want to bring a final word of encouragement and direction to the Christian. Everybody say, whoo, amen. I'm ready. See, I, I shared all this to let you know that we're watching the remedial judgments of God fall, and they're going to intensify. How it's going to happen, I don't know. But there's, there's some tough times coming. Now, let me give you a word of encouragement to every believer in here. First, in times of judgment, God promises to watch over and care for his own that are seeking his face. I want you to know that, that think of Elijah. Here he is. Israel's being judged. He goes by the brook Cherith. He sits there. All he's got is a flowing stream, but he gets room service twice a day brought to him by a raven who brought him meat and bread in its beak twice a day and sustained him through the hour of judgment. Listen, if God knows who you are, he will get your provision to you. He will take care of you. Second, this is good news. There is no better time, no better time to boldly stand up and preach the gospel to a nation than when it's under the judgments of God. Because when it's under the remedial judgments of God, people are looking for an answer. They know something is wrong. So we're going to stand up and we're going to speak up and we're going to preach the gospel in as many ways, in many places, as fast as we can, as broadly as we can, as powerfully as we can, because I believe it's going to be an hour of harvest. Third, Jesus said, hey, here's some good news. When you see all these things coming to pass, lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. Jesus is near. He's at the door. These are the signs of the times. And finally, God's judgments are the precursor to destruction if a nation doesn't listen. But they are the precursor to revival and awakening if that nation does listen and cries out to God. So let's pray that America hears and cries out. Can we stand today? And I want us to lift holy hands up to the Lord. Just lift your hands up. And let's, let's go to the Lord. Father, we come to you with this nation. So blessed of God. So exalted of the Lord. So incredibly blessed and favored. Yet now, Lord, we're watching the sad decline because our nation is going in the wrong direction. And, Lord, we're experiencing remedial judgment. And I pray, we pray, that, Lord, this nation, starting at the White House, on down through Congress, the House of Representatives, into every mayor, every governor, every judge, that, Lord, these, these voices, the prophets, the shaking going on, will cause our land to repent like Nineveh repented. And you turn your judgment away. Lord, you want to have mercy. And so, Lord, we pray right now. We pray that, Lord, there will be an awakening. There will be a Holy Ghost move of God. There will be a sovereign touch that you will turn things. That you, will, that you, Lord, will get the attention of this nation. That it looks up and it calls out on the name of the Lord. And, Lord, we pray, start with us. Start with us. Lord, start with our own lives, our own hearts. Start with us. 
If there's anything amiss, anything that's wrong, anything sinful in our own life, help us, Lord, to make it right, that we might shine, that we might be the salt of the earth, that we might be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Lord, touch turning point to be a voice to this nation, that we would bring the word of God to this nation, starting right here. Now, I want you to take a minute, dear church. If there's anything in your life that needs to be made right, as we just, as we just sing and worship quietly, I want you to say, God, forgive me, because I'm looking at the answer to the world's problems. I'm looking at the answer. It's Jesus in you. So take a minute and pray. Thank you, Lord.